sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Very excited to have our guest today join us on our Sports Intuition podcast. Today we're joined by Cass Lowry, the General Manager of Government Partnerships at the NRL. Cass also volunteers as a board member of Touch Football Australia and sits on the steering committee of the Coalition of Major Professional and Participation Sports. With a background in politics and history, Cass is the perfect example of someone who has been able to use her previous experience in different industries to become a leader within the sports industry. In her current role, Cass works with all levels of the government to support game-wide initiatives including grassroots participation and Indigenous programs. We're so excited to hear from her today some of the initiatives and stories and chat to Cass. Welcome to the podcast, Cass. Thank you very much for joining us. Very excited to be here. Now, we always start our first question on our podcast is, can you tell us a little bit about your earliest memory in sport? Mm. So first, earliest memory would be I was a swimmer and I remember being probably six and standing on the podium and I was in second place and realising that I didn't actually really like that. I wanted to be at the top. So that was my swimming career going from there. And then apparently my first ever engagement with sport was five, I was five days old. Uh, my father played for the Dragons rugby league team and we went to, well, I was taken to Jubilee Oval up on the hill and with my family and my mum and my grandparents and that was my first time out of the house in my little outfit. So I don't remember it, but I like to think that maybe that was my first uh, initiation into the world of sport that I now work in. Nice to see a bit of a long history of NRL, obviously, in the family. Yeah, my grandfather played, so I went from there. My grandfather, my dad, my brother was quite interested and did quite well through Dragons Juniors and then decided he wasn't going to pursue that. Uh, and then, yeah, my side, I was I was more swimming and I played hockey at school. I think, you know, most of us do that school activity. I did think that maybe one day I'd be this you know, Olympian swimmer, but that was not to be the case. Did you ever try league as a girl growing up? I didn't. I played touch here and there. Um, my dad was a touch football referee, so we were often, you know, taken down and we were, I played touch football. But, uh, no, I didn't ever get into league. I think maybe the, the tackling back then, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I was too scared. Yeah, no, it's an intense game. I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> I always think, you know, if AFL women's was as big as what it was 10 years ago, I would have loved to have had a crack. And I wonder, you know, given your sporting pedigree, whether this, we were talking about this, you know, in 20 years, you might have actually had a had a crack at the rugby league women's. I think now, yeah, having, having been around the women's game for a, quite a few years, I think I would have a go. I think even being in high school, I'd be like, yeah, no, let's go and have a go at this. This looks like it's so fun. And I think, yes, it's really competitive and it's, you know, it's, I suppose, the, the friendship, though, that you see those those women who go hard at it and, you know, they're, they're, such, they're such great athletes, but at the same time they walk off the field and they're, they're friends and they're so supportive of each other. And I think I, I really like that element, so I probably would have given it a go. But I was, you know, quite a, quite a while ago, 15, 25 years ago, actually. I would have been in your high school and too scared to do that. The camaraderie that you see around, I guess, some of these more, the newer professional female sports like AFLW, um, the NRL, it's the same. Like that camaraderie that they've got, I think, is what has just enticed people to them and like what's made them fall in love because it feels like it's sort of back to the heyday of professional sports where everyone's having a laugh, everyone's having such a great time. They're not necessarily taking themselves too seriously but it's just so nice to watch yes I think when you see the support that 
you know, the, the community gives these athletes and we are slowly more so acknowledging that they are professional athletes, but at the same time, they have different things going on because they're not that full-time, you know, highly paid athlete. So they have family, they're working, they have their outside commitments and other interests, but just their professionalism and their dedication, I think is just, is incredible. And certainly for our sport, having engaged with quite a few of those ladies over the last few years, it's just really impressive and they just are making great strides for the next generations, which is... Yeah, there's some incredible role models within the professional female sports, whatever code we're talking about. Some of them are just incredible when you hear their stories. Down here in, in AFL, you know, we have people like Daisy Pierce, who has been such a, you know, front runner in the AFLW, then went off and had twins and is now back playing professional I mean, sport. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think there's, in our sport, we've had a few ladies that have, you know, have families or were playing, have had a baby come back. And yeah, to your point, it's, I mean, to have twins is even is even more impressive. But I think the the inspiration they'll provide for the next generations coming through. Already, our women's game grows anywhere each year from 20 to 30 percent year on year, and that's been granted from a very small base when I started, you know, seven eight years ago. But every year we're seeing more and more, and now we have those professional levels and premierships. I think will only continue to grow, which is which is really great. I mentioned in the intro that you studied politics and history, which is obviously a little bit different, but really interesting for someone who is now working in sport. Can you talk to us a little bit about what led you to getting involved? So I, politics and history was a study at uni, mostly because I was a little bit lost when I first came out of school. I tried a couple of different things. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was at uni and I was studying law and I hated it. It was, it was awful. And so I decided to just go into arts, just give myself a year, figure things out. And I was also part of a political party at that point. And so it was more just out of interest um, being involved in politics. So when I was actually studying, it was actually, no, I think this would be really interesting to pursue as a career. And then my my final year of uni, I got to go over to Washington DC and intern for a congressman. So I spent a few, a few months over there and I immediately knew that Whilst the day-to-day, you know, I was the intern, I was writing letters and answering the phone and things, wasn't very exciting. But in terms of actually being around the people who were developing policy and trying to implement policy, I was like, that's it, this is what I need to do. So decided that that was coming home, what I was going to focus on. So when I came back, volunteered on various, you know, campaigns. I volunteered for this then opposition leader in New South Wales. Uh, and so when the election came in, in New South Wales in 2011, I was offered a, a job for the New South Wales Minister for Sport uh, as an advisor. And so I was like, yeah, that, you know, this would be interesting. I'll give this a go. And not only did I have a terrific boss, but it was actually just really interesting work talking to so many stakeholders, you know, every single day, there'd be every single sport you could imagine from the big NSOs down to the state organisations, down to the volunteer recreation groups. And I really enjoyed, you know, all of those elements. Uh, And part of that was the NRL. They would come in, you know, here and there, the then government relations manager. And I was really impressed with the community work, which I didn't think, you know, people knew a lot about. And I thought, gosh, that's really, they're doing some really good work, but it could probably be even bigger and better. And so when the position came up here in 2012, end of 2012, that's when I applied and then I started beginning of 2013. So it was a while ago now, but that was kind of, yeah, the the transition. And it was just so do more for the community. And it was, I've seen, you know, being here for a while now, how much people love sport in general, but how much it can connect. 
And, you know, I've had ministers been in, in meetings and ministers say, oh, we need sports to get in the door. We need you. You know, we need that cut through. So to have a player of recognition, whether it's our sport or someone else, another, you know, another sport, doesn't matter. But if a kid connects to that, that's what's most important. I think it's great. And I love how you said, you know, you, you're a bit lost because I think some people, you know, you finish school and you're either expected to go to uni, have a trade or kind of go on that overseas trip. So um, it's okay not to know what you should be doing next. Give something a crack and then you'll you'll find your way. And I still think that even though you are working in sport or we're working in sport, I, we often get the question of, oh, what do you want to be doing in five to ten years? And, I mean, it's great if you have a long-term plan, but it's okay if you're not sure how you're going to get there as well. So Absolutely. that's really good to hear. And be open to the path maybe deviating from what you think it could be uh, because perhaps it's something better. You just never know. So moving on to now, what does your current role actually entail? So day to day, there's kind of three key areas that I focus on. So one is funding and that's probably the most important thing. So one is the government funding. So bringing in money to the game, mostly NRL, but also supporting the clubs where possible uh, to bring in money for community programs and I suppose those social community the social cohesion programs so we have a number of programs that are government funded that can be state and or federal and then reporting and delivering on those so that's probably 50 percent of my my day-to-day so writing of grants and proposals meeting with governments staffers bureaucrats negotiating those those opportunities then we do uh, what we have we have a parliamentary friends of rugby league organizational group so we have groups across the entire country and in new zealand so we run various events and engagements with them so that's a quite time consuming pre-covid we would you know do events in the various states and host people and and those kind of things. We do various policy work, so can be with comps and then sometimes, you know, just for ourselves, but whether it's something like you know, ticket scalping, which is a comps a comps issue, obviously, for across all sports, so it might be a policy issue that we're focused on because there's a government review or, you know, submission opportunity, so we'll work on those. And then my newest addition to the portfolio is I'm now responsible for the major event acquisitions and basically selling our events to, to governments. So we announced, we were in Adelaide yesterday to announce State of Origin in 2023 will be played down there. So yeah, moving forward, uh, I now also will be selling our major events, so All Stars, Origin, things like that. It's such an interesting and broad role. One thing I did want to ask you about is you often hear, you know, maybe a few keyboard warriors and things like that, particularly around, you know, whether it's Indigenous round or things like that. Politics has got no place in sport, which is really almost your day-to-day role and you mentioned it before what a driver you think sport can be how does that statement make you feel when you hear it and I guess maybe talk to how untrue it really is well I always say there's you know they say there's two topics you don't talk about which is politics and religion they are my favorite things to talk about so uh when I meet people I don't go straight into politics appreciating that not everyone's going to have you know agreements on things but I actually think it's really important that we learn from that I actually really enjoy talking to someone who maybe had a complete opposite view to me on an issue and because you're learning that's all what it's about it's just different country it's and particularly having worked in in America where gosh it's you know it's front and center and people are extremely passionate about it here it's it's yeah it's kind of more downplayed and maybe at a campaign level in the federal election or state election there's a bit more you know chat around it so I think it's important that we we do talk about that and that people get to vote and are engaged uh, in terms of the connection with sport there there is a connection whether people people want it to be there or not 
Uh, I think that, you know, MPs know, well, the MPs certainly that we engage with, they know that sport is connected to community. And it comes down to people might not actually know who the local MP is, but people will probably know who the local AFL team is and who the local NRLW, you know, NRLW team is. And you can go and play your junior sport. And maybe you've had, you know, someone come up through the tennis ranks who's now, you know, quite a good player because everyone wants to get behind and support the locals. And I really think... For an MP, they need to have that level of connection to a community, and that's really where it comes from. Can be sports. Uh, you know, you can go down to the you know Saturday morning, whatever it is, game that you're playing, and you get your photo ops. Well, whether you like it or not, that's what happens uh, on the bigger stage. It is connected because a lot of sports are government funded and supported, and whether that's yeah from grassroots through to second and, and elite levels, it is typically government supported. Uh, and so there will always be that connection. In terms of high profile, uh, we have a couple of very high profile politicians, state and federal, that are rugby league supporters. I, I really, I like that. I think it's great. I think that it's you know great that they're engaged. They're genuine about their support for us and our game. And quite frankly, if they're going to help our game and our community, I absolutely would welcome that. And, you know, to be sitting in a room or in a, um, in a function space and chatting about what we're doing in the community and have a minister say, that's actually really interesting. Can we can we talk a bit more about that? Um, can we, you know, is there a possibility for us to take that program to X community because they're having a bit of trouble with domestic violence or social cohesion? Or I think that's the way it kind of works. And if we can help people, then we will. And if that is through politics, then again, that's the way we'll go. And I think with your new portfolio of major events, a lot of state premiers or, or MPs are trying to bring their states back to life through live events and a way to bring the community together through, you know, sporting events. So if that's what they can promise to their, their local state or the, the people of their state, then I think that's a huge win for them. Yeah, we've recently announced we're going to play 2021 Game 1 Origin in Melbourne and working with the Victorian government at the moment who are, you know, so supportive and we're very excited to get this up because it was, you know, it was looking a bit risky there for a while. But, yeah, there's initial conversations of, we, you know, we want to see, you know, crowds back. And particularly in Melbourne, everyone knows, you know, how much Victorians love sport. So to be able to go back to the MCG, play in Origin, hopefully in front of a, a decent crowd, and we'll continue to work on that right up until really game day. Uh, I think that's it is important to get a sense of normalcy back and community mm. back. Yeah, hopefully, you know, people going out socially and yeah, supporting the local bar and the restaurant and the cafe and spending time with friends, because I think that's one thing that COVID has shown is unfortunately that social isolation is it has been, you know, really challenging for some people. And so typically sport is what connects. And so whether that's a major event or grassroots, hopefully, yeah, we're part of bringing people back and getting them feeling back to normal. And you mentioned, you know, all the people that you work with within your role. It obviously requires you to wear many hats and you, you're working with members of parliament, ministers, as well as the NRL clubs and staff. What would you say would be the most challenging part of working with such a varied group of stakeholders? Um, that's a good question, actually. I think often it's more communication and the timing of the communication, making sure that it's, I suppose, done in a certain order. You know, you don't want to upset one group because you, have, you haven't gone early enough or you go too early. Uh, so it's just trying to make sure that everyone's across. Uh, so I do really try to make sure I'm a, a good communicator in, in that. Then I suppose, yeah, some more day-to-day -day can be just, I suppose, yeah, getting back to people, you know, 
quickly and not keeping people waiting. That's one thing I, my personal policies, an email should be responded to within 24 hours. And at the moment, that's actually not always the case. And I feel really bad because I don't want people to think I'm ignoring them because that's actually not the case. It's just there's, you know, so many other things going on. But I think we all go through that at the same time. It's, you know, we all do our best, but sometimes those emails get out of control and you've got a day of meetings and sitting there doing your best to keep up. But everyone's, yeah, in terms of government partners they also obviously have lots going on everyone does and so yeah i think probably communication is is the most important thing i really like that because it sounds really simple like right back to people's emails but it's just so true and it's something that you know whether you're started in sport tomorrow you're an intern or you've been working in the industry for 30 years it's something that you should be able to always follow through on so i actually think it's a really really nice piece of advice and everyone's been on the other side where you don't get a response to your email and how frustrating that can be yes even if it's to say thank you for your email I'll look at this or I'm working on it, I'll come back. Because often you have to then, yeah, we're in our business, talk to half a dozen other people. But just to have that respect to let people know that you're looking at it, you're working on it, you haven't ignored them. Yeah, absolutely. Can you maybe talk to us about what you find most rewarding about working in sport and in your role? I'm really lucky, actually. Part of our part of our community program is Pacific Outreach Programming in PNG, Samoa, Fiji and Tonga. And having helped set up that program, I've been to those nations and I actually, like, the first time I went, I was actually quite emotional about it, like, going up into the highlands of PNG and Fiji, and these people don't have very much. And, you know, there's look, the looks on their faces when you, know, you hand them a football and you're throwing the footy round and giving them perhaps, like, a book or something like that. I have found that probably the most rewarding experience, having done that. I wrote pre-COVID was doing that, you know, probably once or twice a year would go to have engagements with, with kids who were just happy to be involved, who just wanted to play, just wanted to you know, have fun with their friends. So I find that, I suppose, because, you know, you get yeah, my day-to-day is trying to get money for those programs, uh, actually being able to see that in person and hopefully see those impacts. And then say, yeah, along those lines, with in Australia going to a school where we're running a program on social cohesion and seeing those kids, and if I can, I've only got to do it a few times, unfortunately, but from the beginning of the program to the end and having actually some of those kids now involved in our program and helping to deliver, they've come from, you know, perhaps they're a bit shy or reserved or they've had other you know issues going on. They've come through the program and now they're part of our rugby league family and they help deliver programs and speak to kids. And I think that's the most rewarding part, seeing, yeah, getting those contracts is great. That's, that's, that's a great tick. But at the same time, what are we actually getting at the end? And that's the best part of hopefully seeing someone's life changed or improved in some way because of being involved. Yeah, some of those, you know, kids that you're talking about would never get opportunities like that without the programs that you run. I actually did my uni placement at the Panthers back in whatever year, 2008 maybe. And part of it was going out to schools with some of the players and teaching the kids how to eat healthy. And it was just so interesting because one school we went to was quite affluent so their lunch boxes were very healthy and they knew what was healthy eating and then some of the other schools we went to all the kids were their parents had come across from some of the islands and they just had no concept and it wasn't for lack of trying it's just that there was no education and so some of the education that you're able to give via their heroes because they just admire these rugby league players like there's no tomorrow is so rewarding and that's kind of back to your earlier point Cass around what one of the I guess parliament members said was a lot of people don't know that this is happening and all this good stuff's happening in the community and trying to get that good news story out there. Yeah so I think if a player turns up and their favourite players I don't know 
you know, James Tedesco and Jimmy's told them, you know, to have an apple a day and they listen or have your piece of fruit every day, that's a good outcome for us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, Teddy says we should do this. All right, let's let's do it. Work, yeah, versus if, you know, I was to walk yeah. in, okay, kids, have your fruit. They're like, who, what? No, like, you know, they've completely checked out. So yeah. if that's an, a message that we're able to get across, that's awesome and that's that's great. Uh, yeah, I think that, that element of using profile for good in our players, male and female, for across all sports, do that well 99% of the time. They're using their profile for good work and for positive outcomes and, Oh, I think that's yeah another power of sport of of connecting. It's um another really good point you made there around using their profile for good. And unfortunately, you know, I think the media is drawn to NRL and AFL players in particular in this country when maybe they don't do it for good. And sometimes the focus isn't on that. Is that frustrating in your role in particular when you know there's so much good going on in the community by so many players and there's a few here and there that might do the wrong thing. And I would imagine that would impact on your role pretty significantly sometimes as, you know, partners and things like that would only want to talk about that. Does it get frustrating or do you just sort of go, you know, we know the good that is going on and we know that we can, I guess, power on through this and, and get the good messages out there to the people that matter? I'll be honest, it is. it can be quite frustrating. I think, you know, when you have every single day players, clubs, our community staff in schools, at, at clubs doing such terrific work and you know making what we we believe making a difference and then unfortunately there might be an issue that just dominates and is completely taken over and all the good messages are lost and you know that that's disappointing really uh, and you know I, I think in in terms of the media coverage a modern media so I can't really talk about it but you know, I read the paper and I think, oh, okay, well that's you know disappointing or that's silly or what might whatever it might be. You know, unfortunately. It is, I guess, I suppose, a reflection that, you know, some of our players um, and perhaps their experiences and and upbringing have impacted their behaviour. So I know our welfare and education team, millions of dollars a year is spent providing education, support to try to make sure people have all the knowledge and understanding and make the best choices they can. But I suppose that's not always the outcome. And certainly for NRL and AFL, then with being the two, I suppose, highest profile, not living in Victoria, but you know, you see the media clips come through and if someone's done something, it's page after page after page. And unfortunately, all the community stuff is gone, like the good news stuff and another play has been out at schools and lost. So that's more the frustration. I think the media has a, such a big responsibility in that as well. And it's probably been highlighted during COVID, you know, you turn on the news and everything's negative and, you know, everyone's put into this anxious and depressed mm. state. Like it's almost the same in sport. It's like, well, you know, they're also choosing to not write some of those headlines. And I get it's because the drama sells, but it's like they've got a responsibility to change that narrative as well and really highlight the amazing work that goes on by, you know, the organisations and the players themselves. Like a lot of these players do this off their own back and they deserve the recognition for it. That's true. A lot of players do go out and, you know, will do hospital visits and school visits and, uh, you know, maybe if someone if there's someone that is sick and they're in hospital, they'll go and visit them and they don't put it on social media. They're not promoting what they're doing. They're just doing it because they're a good person. Um, sometimes you get those, you know, you, you pick it up because that person's family posts or, you know, something nice like that. They, they're thankful for, for that person's time. But really, it's not talked about. It might be talked about that someone's done something wrong or someone's been photographed where they shouldn't have been out of their bubble or it just, yeah, it, it, it's just disappointing that we're not telling those more positive stories more regularly. Yeah, I agree. 
I want to touch on a little bit, and I don't know how you do it given the scope of your role, but not only do you work at the the NRL, but you're also on the board of Touch Footy Australia, um, and you're on the steering committee of the Coalition of Major Professional and Participation Sports. Mm-hmm. What's it like, I guess, being on the other side of the of sports? So being on those, you know, committees and boards and making, you know, substantial and major decisions for the future of the sport in a mm-hmm. different capacity. I've been really lucky. So I've been sitting on comps for probably seven years. And yes, we know it's a long name and we always talk about changing it, but yeah. <laughs> we have yet to do so. But comps has been really interesting, particularly through COVID. So we would meet every probably six, eight weeks pre-COVID and you know, have a bit of a chat, what's going on. And it's more those yeah, those issues that we all share, whether it's like a policy or whatnot. Since COVID, we were meeting weekly for a while there for several months. The sharing of information and ideas and when things first started, obviously NRL and AFL were about to kick off. And so some of the sports, including some of your colleagues, were like, okay, we'll we'll just sit back, you know, (laughs) good luck, guys. And then it was, you know, probably through the season and all of a sudden it was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to affect the summer sports. And so I think it was for some of those, like, yeah, for, for the cricket and, and the tennis team, it was, oh, my goodness, okay, what, what were the learnings and who were the best contacts? And we were just trying to share whatever we could. And that's what I loved about the last, as much challenging as it, as it has been, the last 12 months of just really coming together as a comps group and being hopefully there to support each other in whatever way we have been able to. And, yes, sharing that information, I think, has really helped all of us. And then more broadly, it is trying to get an outcome that will hopefully better sport. So sometimes, you know, government policy might be brought up that they're looking to change, yeah, ticket scalping, alcohol advertising, gambling advertising, whatever it might be. There can oftentimes, under terms of reference, perhaps be unintended consequences, which that's understandable because it's not, you know, a bureaucrat's, they haven't worked in sport, they don't understand our game, you know, our game. And so coming together with comps has been really beneficial there. So I think that's, it's important as a sporting world that we we do that. Then for TFA, or touch football, I should say, um, that I've been, I've been on the board for maybe 18 months and that's been really interesting. So, you know, that second tier, it's still a national sport, but obviously doesn't have the profile of some of our, our major sports. And they just their community program, the fact that it's so gender new, like so gender split, which I love the inclusivity. You know, you don't have to be the, the best player, the most athletic, but you know, you can go down and play with your mum and dad if you wanted to. And I like that camaraderie that it, it brings. We were pushing through for COVID, unfortunately, obviously things had to be put on on hold for a while. Um, not having some of those uh, financial backers meant. There were some more financial challenges for the sport, but we were getting together quite regularly to just chat through the options and then working with different state governments to see when when the sport would come back. And the leadership team and CEO did a tremendous job of of pushing on and supporting them, the state leagues and and local clubs to get back where they could. I found in terms of the board experience, it's been been really good. You know, I have a lot to do with our commission at, at the NRL. So that level of engagement and then with TFA, um, I suppose looking at it from a different lens of obviously I do operational here, but being on a board, it's okay, what's the strategy and how are we supporting the bigger picture? So having to actually step out of a normal operational mindset 
uh, I really enjoyed. I did the company directors course a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, using some of those learnings of actually this is what's supposed to happen and talk about the financial things because that's not my strongest suit. So, you know, taking time and actually reading through things and asking questions. And that's one thing. It's sometimes just rereading and listening and then asking questions and just learning along the way. That actually is perfect for the the next question I had for you, which was, how do you continue to learn? You mentioned you were obviously sharing information within the comps, but also, you know, doing some courses along the way. Is that, you know, a big priority for you? Uh, I'd be honest, it probably shouldn't, it's probably not as as high as it should be. Uh, I started a master's a couple of years ago and, you know, 12 months in, I was like, this is too hard. It wasn't very exciting anyway. So it was, you know, kind of just pushed to the side, pushed to the side. So I put that on hold and I thought I'll just do some, I suppose, more one-on-one learning and things that I could do trying to fit in with a schedule. And so, yeah, did the company directors, which was really, I think, really beneficial. It is a lot of work, of course, and for those that, that are looking at doing that, but it is beneficial. I also was involved in a women in sport kind of mentoring program. And so having a mentor and getting engaged with her and just chatting through things with her and just learning. And then she would, you know, she was connecting me with some other women across business and being able to, I suppose, have that networking. And sometimes more learning for me has been just more networking and going to events and you know, kind of getting out of your comfort zone by walking up to strangers and, and having a chat and that also provides opportunities, you know, perhaps later on for, you know, a partnership or something like that. But I think, yeah, through COVID, it's, I decided I was going to, you know, restart learning a language. I thought, that's it, I'm going to do this. And then, of course, we're working around the clock, seven yeah. days a week. It was nonstop for many months. And so that didn't really happen. I did a few courses and then, you know. Was like, did oh, you choose a language? I, I'm studying French. I've been studying oh, French I really want to learn for French. years. Yeah, on and off for years. So, uh, haven't done it for several months though. Like pre-Christmas has been, so I really need to get back into it. But just more out of it, something to keep me interested out of sport as well. We sit here 12 plus hours a day, and we work weekends and we work nights. So what am I going to do for a bit of fun outside? Well, that was going to be learn French through COVID because I saw people were you know, baking bread and knitting, and I, I couldn't do any of that. So I thought, let's learn. Let's take the opportunity. What about what's next for you? Obviously, you've got exciting times coming up in the NRL. You talked about it, all those things that you're, that you're using to learn. What's your future plans? I will be. I will definitely go back into politics and government at some point. I'm not sure when or, or where, but that's something I would like to do. I would like to be involved in infrastructure, maybe transport. I'd like to build things. I'd like to be part of you know, some kind of legacy piece that I don't know if it's a train line or whether it's a bridge. I'm not sure, but I just think it would be really exciting to be able to provide something to the community that makes life better. I would like to be involved in that. Um, so at my role here, I'd work on Stadia. And so, you know, at the moment, I'm literally looking at the construction site for the new Sydney Football Stadium, which is something I work on and being part of that. So Townsville Stadium and uh, Bankway Stadium, which is out at Parramatta. I've really enjoyed that element of things. And so, yeah, if I can do do that as well, whether that's in sport or yeah, in, in government. Uh, in terms of sport, I have thought here and there about going into NRL club land, but you never know. So you've got to be open to opportunities. You can't always plan plan things out, but we'll see. You probably already spoke to it a little bit there, but what would you like your legacy to be? For my NRL time, I think it's – I hope it's improving our community programs, so being able to bring money in, 
being able to help and engage with hopefully hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, so I've been doing this for just over eight years. And in that time, it's a lot of contracts and a lot of money. And then the team do such a terrific job going out, engaging, delivering their programs. So I hope that's, that is a good uh, legacy. And then, yeah, probably the Stadia piece as well has been really interesting. Obviously, I'm not out there delivering it and building it, but being the point of contact for us and sitting on meetings and, you know, looking at the design and, those elements for our game of what we need, coordinating across the business. I hope that, yeah, that's something that I, I know I'll look back at that and think, oh, you know, that was really that was really cool to be involved with. And, you know, when I get to sit in the new Sydney football stadium in 18 months time and look around and think this was, yeah, this was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We just had one last question for you. You know, I've really enjoyed listening to your story so far and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I'm just keen to hear, I guess, what would be your top three tips you would give to a budding female, you know, sports administrator starting her journey or maybe even, you know, considering your background, even someone finishing um, school or uni and still not sure about the path that they would take? Uh, top three is hard because I feel like there's so many. I think I said before, I, you just have to be open to things. I think it's being open to opportunities and trying not to be so set. I mean, it's great to have a goal. I think that's really important and I, I really admire that. But at the same time, yeah, being open to and being a bit adaptable. I think it's probably putting yourself out there. And I'm not typically naturally someone that would just walk up and, you know, be at a party and be chatting to everyone. I just, it's, I'll be in the corner having a chat with like one or two people, but you actually can't do that. You've got to put yourself out there. And one of my colleagues always says that to me when we host people at our major events, I literally walk up to strangers and start having a chat. She's like, I don't know how you do this. Like, I just understand. I'll be in the corner. I was like, no, this is, well, one, you get to meet people and that's, you know, that's always nice and you have a good chat and you make a connection and it's, yeah, it's putting yourself out to just be the, the best person that you can be and whether that's employee or, or personal because, yeah, you've got to kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, and then I think probably probably getting a mentor uh, if you're starting out and you, you want to uh, pursue a career in sport, um, maybe trying to get a mentor. And you want that to happen organically. You don't want it to be forced. But if there's someone within sport or who has worked in sport that has inspired you or that you think could align with, your career path I, I think that would be really beneficial for for people starting out I think that's really good piece of advice the mentor one I think has come up in every single episode and very similar advice in that you know make sure it happens organically don't mm. just start randomly firing off LinkedIn messages saying yeah. you want to be my, my mentor yes. um, but I think it's yeah it's a really good point um, your second one though I can definitely relate to in terms of you know you always feel when you go to networking events or something like that you that anxiety of like who do I go speak to but yeah. I always try and think of it in the mind of like if someone walks up to me and starts having a conversation with me I'm not going to be like oh my god what's this person doing I don't want to talk to them so if <laughs> I'm doing that to people like they're not going to be thinking that as well but it can be really really confronting so it's nice to hear sort of your side of things that you know it doesn't come easy but you've found a way to to get through it yeah it's always yeah to your point you're not going to be going oh my goodness don't talk to me go away like it's we're all there to, you know, meet people and, and have a chat. And it is a bit scary. Like you walk into a room where everyone's kind of in groups and you're there by yourself. It's like, oh my goodness. And yeah, it's a bit of practice. You know, I'm I'm 40 next year. I've been doing this a while. But yeah, like walking out, putting yourself out. Hi, how are you? You never know who you're going to meet, who you can, who you'll connect with. Perhaps you'll find yourself a mentor out of, you know, walking up to someone. You just never know. Well, thank you so much for your time, Cass. That's been amazing. It's been great to hear yeah, about really your journey we look forward to to following it and even following your career in politics as well one day so 
Keep in touch. We'll see about that. Keep us posted. But no, it's been um, really great to chat to you and, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.